listeners, we're going to have a lot of fun with this next interview. Um, Natalie Days uh, is, among other things, the author of this book, Okra Stew, which is subtitled Gula Geechee Family Celebration. And it's a picture book, which is something we don't usually do, uh, Natalie, on um, radio. <laughs> it's real hard to translate. And um, yeah. but But... There's so much information that you can offer us around the actual picture book itself. Um, first of all, the illustrations are, are really charming. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I enjoyed and, much. You did, you did those, right? You did the illustrations? I did, yes. I did. And yes. you're, you're a sculptor. You do. What all don't you do? Let's start with that. <laughs> What don't I do? Well, surprisingly, at this point, I don't cook. I used to cook. I'm actually a really good cook. But uh-huh. as of late, I spend, I sort of roll out of bed and into the studio. And then yeah, I paint all day or make art. And then I go in the house and see if somebody else cooked. You hope, huh? This is your first book. And, and let's start off by saying, it, it is a children's picture book. Um, and what age group are you aiming for? Well, it is, it's marketed as ages four through eight, but um, I think picture books are for anybody. I started collecting them when I was 17, and I've got many. Oh, really? So, yeah, I think, well, you know, they, this beautiful art combined with a story. What's not uh-huh. to love? No, well, now, right. how did you start out as an artist on the art side or on the the um, entertaining side or or what? It, your your biography I, here is not real clear, but your background. I would say that um, I may have started out on the artist side without knowing it. I was the kid who drew for all the other kids in kindergarten. Um, my daddy got me my first art kit in 1973 because a friend of mine was taking art, and I was excited, and so he bought me a Grumbacher oil painting kit, and I taught myself oh, how to right. use it. So I've been making art for a while, but I didn't consider myself an artist. I did want to be a writer. Um, I loved books. I was one of those weird, shy kids who lived in the library. Yeah. So I thought that I would be a writer, and then... Um, I ended up being an entertainer, which, you know, was a, a surprise. Yeah, tell our listeners about your TV show. Okay, well, um, for a few years, my husband Ron and I did a TV show called Gullah Gullah Island. So if any of your listeners were children in the 90s or had children who were, grew up in the 90s, they might know our work. It was a show based in the Gullah culture here on the coastal areas of the southeastern coast of South Carolina, um, Georgia and Florida and North Carolina, so right along the coastal region, which was a rice-growing region. And um, when I met my husband, who is a native to this community, I learned a lot about the Gullah culture, about the language and the foodways. Um, and he and I began performing together, wow, shortly after we met. We started singing old songs and telling stories and traveling around the country doing that. Um, so we've been singing together for 40 years. Yeah, well, it must have, la- it must have been good because your marriages last for a long time. <laughs> so it must have been a good experience, right? Um, it's a great experience. And someone who had met us in that, um, you know, as, as cultural performers and storytellers 
told a friend of theirs about us who was pitching shows for Nickelodeon. And we met okay. her over dinner one night um, over cold chicken back on St. Helena Island in Beaufort County, South Carolina. And she said, hey, maybe we can do a show about you. Uh-huh. And that's how that's how it started. Um, yeah. You know, I want to get into a whole bunch of things, but I, I think for our listeners, just um, if you could sort of define uh, the, the culture, the Gullah Geechee culture. Uh, and, I mean, I know it's hard to pin down in every detail, but uh, give them a general understanding of, of where this culture is and what okay. it's about. Yeah. It's really a challenge to do it in a short, but I, I've got a lot, almost a capsule version. So um, <laughs> the area from like Wilmington, North Carolina, down to about St. Augustine, Florida, is a very a particular kind of almost tropical uh, and wet area. And this land um, was perfect for growing rice. And the, uh, those who had been granted that land, the Europeans who had been granted that land, realized that would be a great cash crop, but they couldn't grow rice. But along the coast of Western Africa, also at one time known as the Grain or Rice Coast, there were Africans who could grow rice. So this was during the time of enslavement, so they went over and they brought over rice growers very specifically. And for many, many, many years, um, this area was the greatest rice exporter in the world, which is hard. I'm living in Georgetown, which is the largest rice exporter in the world. Um, And so right here along the coast, for many years, you would say in that region I mentioned, this community was between 70 to 85% African um, wow. because there were Africans here growing rice and the European planters were, you know, <laughs> they couldn't handle the, the temperate, the, 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 um, the weather. So the majority of the people were the Africans. And so they sort of redeveloped a culture here, the, sort of an Africanist culture along the coast that included a Creole language, and many of the African practices that they brought here with them. And that's called the Gullah culture, Gullah people, Gullah language. And so it still well, exists. You know, for um, years, nobody mentioned it. I mean, I, I spent, I've spent a lot of time in the South, and for years nobody really ever talked about it, which is oh. something that I was thinking is probably a good motivation for you to reach out to um, a young audience. Yes, well, we have been, um, we did Gullah Gullah Island, the TV show, um, in the early 90s, and um, we, we reached millions of people. <laughs> and I love yeah. it because now, you know, there's, there are many books and there's a lot of research and there's a lot of science um, and about it and um, anthropological studies about it and language studies. And there's even a, a gentleman who teaches the Gullah language at Harvard. So it's, it's the knowledge and the information is there. And it's always wonderful for people to know where they come from and also know how their culture has influenced everything, like the food, southern foodways, how much of that has been influenced by Africa. I mean, okra oh, exactly. is African. Right. Yeah. Rice. Yeah, that's been, that's been a hot topic for a while now. But, um, you know, I remember when our kids first um, lived in the South, and, of course, I used to spend summers in the South, too. Um, and not many people uh, talked about it. No, but now it's everywhere, and, and it's recognized yeah. as being a major driving force for what has now become so popular as Southern cuisine. Yes, right. yes, mm-hmm. absolutely, as it should be. 
So it's like it's like giving the ancestors their flowers. Uh huh. <laughs> um, now the 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 um the the culture itself. I mean, like how vibrant is it now? I mean, is oh, it localized? Hmm. It's very vibrant. Um, I'm closing my windows because my neighbor decided to mow his lawn. Um, uh, <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> um, um, it's, no. it's, it's very vibrant. Uh, there are still people who speak Gullah fluently. Um, even younger people who code switch, you know, they'll do standard That's English. I was going to ask about does it has it caught on with uh, like the language? Like how young are we talking? Um, we're talking certainly my children's peers, and they're in their early 30s, and, and okay. some even younger. I would, you know, often have my car full of kids on their way to basketball or band practice or soccer, and in the back seat they're talking Gullah until they get where they're going. So, you know, because really? you hear it at home. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it hasn't gone anywhere. Um, and if people know how to listen, they'll hear it. Now, of course, like any language, it's evolved. And yeah. so there are some folk who are older who you may not understand much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, it, it goes so. along with, yeah, it has a lot to do with them. Um, I mean, like, uh, even people, like, common language, like Italian, um, a friend of mine's mother-in-law was uh, born and raised in, in Italy, and then came to this country, but when she was back to visit, there, there were Italian words she didn't know. For example, um, she didn't know the, the Italian word for um, a traffic light because where she grew up at that time, there weren't any. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, what, what, what's, what's the intersection with, with uh, sweetheart? What, what? What's, I, I, lost, I lost the word for the vegetable. What is it again? Okra. 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 There you go. What's, what's the intersection with okra? Well, okra is, is, was an African um, crop. It was an African vegetable. So it was brought here. You know, what, you, what often was done, the food that the Africans ate was brought here to keep them alive. Um, and okra was one of those things. And so there's just a long history of African food with okra. Um, and it grows beautifully here because, you know, the climate's so similar. And um, that, that's the initial connection. Yeah, no, I mean, people um, are either really hot for or they don't like okra at all. Um, what are some other characteristics? Yeah, and what are some other characteristics of, of the Gula Geechee cooking? Well, one is, of course, the the, the 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 use of rice. So many rice dishes. Now, rice is common to many cultures, but in African culture, it is an everyday, sometimes several times a day thing. I just was in Ghana this summer, and um, I called myself eating a, a low carb diet till I went to Ghana. And it was like, no, you're going to eat rice if you're going to eat. <laughs> so rice with almost everything and how you cook them, you know, the little peppers and, and, um, and meat is not always the center of the meal. Right. Um, and, and, but this what you can do is... It's true yeah. of 
probably most cultures in the world, to tell you the truth, except American. <laughs> yeah, think, so you pulled out yeah, seafood. I, yeah, I think when Peter first came to the United States, because he's from England, um, he couldn't even believe what came when he ordered a steak in a restaurant in the Midwest. <laughs> I mean, like nobody like that. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, so now what, what things do you want to uh, accomplish with this book? Just a, a general oh, understanding. Well, initially, the book was about um, heritage, and I built the book around a day in the life of a family, but also the things that are handed down. So oh, I love that, the, by the way. I love that. I mean, I, I, I got such a thrill out of reading about the, because um, I have my grandmother's cast iron skillets too, you know. Yeah. And that kind of, yeah. I mean, I love that. And you, it, it, what were some of the other things? You have a sense of uh, continuation of culture and traditions and repeatedly in this book too. Which, yes. I mean, I that, think, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I thought that was probably part of your motivation. That was my main motivation. That was my main yeah. motivation is, is, is to, to celebrate heritage, to embrace it, to, to ask your people, you know, you're, you may have, you're, you're grown-ups, and I talk to children, I go to schools, and I'll say asking your grown-ups about their life mm-hmm. um, because your ancestors brought their culture here to this country in their memory. And mm-hmm. then they passed it down to you. That's your heritage. So ask about those things. And sometimes they're as simple as the pan that you're using to make your cornbread in. Sometimes it's the recipe that you picked up that, you know, your mama told you, your grandma taught your mama taught you. Sometimes that's in that. There's so much history and story in that. And also, you know, family um, is also central and important. And I did it around a meal and around the food and around gardens because that's important to my family. You know, my yeah, daddy was a gardener. Now, yeah. Is, 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 there, is there a sequel called Shrimp and Grits? <laughs> oh, no. I didn't eat shrimp and grits until I was an adult because I was raised not to eat shrimp. And then I married, I met Ron, and his mama, his, her Christmas morning meal was always shrimp and grits. Why was... Well, you're not allowed to eat shrimp. Um, it was because of our, relig- our, our religion. I was raised in a religion where we did not eat shellfish. Oh, oh, oh. I keep forgetting it's shellfish. It's like a bug. Yeah, I didn't eat shellfish, <laughs> and we didn't eat, we didn't eat pork. And now I eat both with great joy. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Isn't that the truth, huh? Um, the, the other thing I noted about this book is, do you have, um, you have, you said you sing songs and do all that. You have a lot of music in your background, don't you? Yes. You have a, a yes. lyrical, be that, and, 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 and poetic, you know, like chop, chop, slice, slice, uh, yeah. dice, dice. Yeah. So you have a lot of that in your background as well. I grew up. Yeah, everyone, everyone in my house sang from childhood. I could sing harmony by three. My husband's the same. Um, so music was just normal. I, I have a tendency to break into song just randomly without even realizing it. Um, <laughs> so that yes, must be startling to some people who weren't expecting it. 
Sometimes I have to tell my husband, like, we're going to the supermarket, and he'll hear, you know, there'll be some music, and he starts to sing. I'm like, you know what, baby, we might need to hold back a minute. But we- <laughs> Everybody oh, in my house sings. I grew up in a house full of singing people, and, I, we, and my children sing. Um, my brother's a professional singer. Um, singing is just, yeah, music, that rhythm is ingrained well, you know, I mean, I've done a lot of things in my life, but the one thing I always wanted to, to be was a jazz singer. <laughs> a jazz singer. And I can't carry a tune. I have a good pitch, you know, but I, I can't replicate it. I'm just, a, a friend of mine was, um, he played the jazz cello, if you can believe it. Anyhow, um, he he was looking to have somebody step in and replace his vocalist on one of his gigs. And uh, he asked me, and of course I'm, I'm really bad. I mean, <laughs> my, my, my child used to look at me and say, please don't sing, Mommy. <laughs> no. So the, the band rebelled and said that if, if he did that and I was supposed to be there, uh, they would have to do safety pin a tiny microphone to my tongue. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> so I never yeah, got to, well, yeah. to do my jazz. Yeah, so. I'm sorry. Well, my, my son has perfect pitch, um, and both of my children, you know, they sing. So it's, uh, I guess we were lucky. We, when, we had, when we were going to have children, Ron and I said, you know, we'll be so happy with whoever gets here, but please, dear God, let them like books and be able to sing. I mean, we'll love them anyway, <laughs> but... <laughs> That's perfect. You know, I, what I prayed for is, <laughs> dear God, please let them have a sense of humor. <laughs> ah, yes, and that's always perfect, yes. <laughs> so, Well, where do you go from here? Ah, Natalie, well, what's uh, what's I, next? I would love to do more books, but I am, I am a working artist. As a matter of fact, I'm currently in my studio right now because I have a rather large commission to finish. Um, yeah. It's an interesting paint and challenge. Sculpture. Which one? Paint, paint, paint. That's my main. My, yeah, paint is my portraiture is my main area um, of 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 work. Uh, my artistic oh, expression is largely portraiture. Yes. Um, and when, it, I love it because it's like sitting with this person and getting to know them. When I did um, okra stew, I sort of stepped away from my you know more detailed portraiture to just sort of have fun with color and textile and paper. You know, I just wanted an explosion of color and saturated energy. But yeah. my, most of my work is, um, is portraiture. Okay, well, so, uh, they, I must say that the, the illustrations in this book, you give a great deal of, of personalized um, character to each of your figures in the story, and I should have recognized that. As portraiture, you know. Um, well, well, thank you. I it was a little challenging because normally when I'm working uh, on portraiture, I have a model, and so this was I yeah. had to pull it out of my head. But it was um, it was fun. Yeah. It but was you would you look around you and you get the inspiration from the people you look at when you just looking around in the world. Yeah, right? I do. I've been known to stop strangers on the street. And say, hi, I'm not weird. I'm an artist. Could I paint you? And normally they say yes. 
Oh, you're too much. Well, Natalie, I, I wish you a lot of success on this. Um, are you doing a book tour, or, or what are you doing? I don't even know if folks do that anymore. Um, I would love to. I've, I've, got a few, I've got a few book signings here and there, and if somebody who hears this says, I would love for her to come up and sign books, by all means, let me know. Um, so uh, I am going to be sharing the book as much as possible because I think it's a lovely little book. And there's a recipe in the back. To let your yeah, readers, I your listeners, I, know, I noted that. <laughs> I noted that, right? <laughs> yeah, it was a challenge. My editor said, "Are you going to put in a recipe?" And I said, "It's stew. There's no recipe, you know." <laughs> but I said, "Let me think about what I do, because you know, if you're if you're a home cook and you're making stews, or you're, you're just like, what do I have? Uh-huh. And that, that's right. what you put in. But um, uh, I had one of my um editors." Try it. And he said, oh, this came out great. So it's oh, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're delightful, Natalie. Uh, listeners, again, uh, check out this book called Okra Stew, a Gulag Geechee family celebration, which it is. It's one of the most joyful um, picture books you'll ever see. And uh, the art, artist and author is Natalie Days, and we wish you the very best, Natalie. Thank you for talking to us. Thank you for talking with me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Thank you. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Okay, here we go. We're talking to Ravinder Bogle, which I probably screwed up. (laughs) Anyhow, um, she's a delightful personality. Um, she's a, a writer. Um, it's the book is actually called um, "Comfort and Joy," subtitled "Irresistible Pleasures from a Vegetarian Kitchen," and you don't you never used to be able to get those two phrases together: irresistible pleasures in a vegetarian kitchen. But you've managed to do that with this book, and I was mostly impressed with how, how really talented a writer you are. Your, your writing, is, the style is it's fabulous, and and so um, that and the I I think I I want to be best friends with your stylist for the you know, photograph. <laughs> Thank so, you. No, I I worked with a wonderful team of people on this book. Well, it's wonderful what it turned out to be and um you you are you have a complex background which contributes to all this uh, depth and and, and ability and and sort of integrating so many different elements into your idea of food and your ideas and how you express them um starting out with the fact that you were born in kenya that's um, right. To a, um, um, an Indian mother and father. Yes. And and then emigrated to England, to the UK, uh, and uh, grew up partially in Kenya, 
with Indian traditions, and then you picked up what was in the UK and England, integrated that, and then your travels have taken you all over the world, and you've integrated all that too. (laughs) You're just amazing. I mean, I think um, the way I coin the food that I I cook, both at the restaurant and in my cookbooks, we call it immigrant food. And I think that really comes from, because people often ask, well, is it fusion, you know, because it seems to have influences from here, there, and everywhere. But actually, I think the best way to describe it is immigrant food. And what that is, for me, is food for those people who have the ache and the pining for what they've left behind, and then also the wonder of their new nation. And what happens when you reconcile those two feelings, that longing and that wonder, you create something completely new. And that, for me, is immigrant food. It's always adapting. It's changing. Um, And for me, I think the story is that, you know, I, I came to England when I was seven from this very lush tropical background in Kenya and then suddenly found myself in this very gray, haggard, urban um, England um, and, uh, and, and it was quite a shock to my system and the kitchen, the kitchen sort of became a portal for me but while I was sort of very precious about my old traditions, my language, culinary heritage, all those traditions, I was also, as I began to settle and find home in this new nation, fascinated by all the immigrant communities that I, you know, grew up around. And so my food is a combination of what is my my culinary heritage, you know, East African Indian, but also all those wonderful people who gave me hospitality and took care of me as I was growing up, all those little mini economies of Chinese supermarkets, Turkish supermarkets, you know, you name it. In London, you know, we have, we have the world around us, and that has informed how I cook. Well, I mean, it's reflected in these recipes, but there's also that whole element of, of, of this invention on your part, natural invention, um, that's part of your character. And, and that's, there's nothing cookie cutter about any of these recipes, which is as somebody who gets you know, dozens upon dozens upon dozens of cookbooks. This is a great relief and pleasure. Thank you. That's very so. kind of you to say. <laughs> Um, yeah, I hope it came across as okay, without offending anybody who's cookbooks and for cooking out there. Yeah, I mean, I think that the thing is that the recipes are so personal, and um, there's a food critic in England called Jay Rayner, and he described my food. Sure, as sure, we know, we know, we know, his, yeah. we know his work. Yeah. And, you know, he described the food at my restaurant that I cook and, and the food in my books is completely idiosyncratic, and he's like, only you could make these things because... It's truly the story of your heritage and how you've kind of navigated your way through life in England. And so for me, food is, um, and the recipes I write are very much about storytelling. Right. And and you have a great deal of passion about what you're writing, too. I mean, yes. reading it, I imagine you're really um, enjoying each of these visions. 
<laughs> some some cookbooks you read and you you can't imagine the uh, the author actually eating the stuff. <laughs> but you 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 kind of linger and drool over all your recipes as well. Thank you. Uh, Thank no, you. No, no, not not every one of our listeners will understand and, and know about the rich tradition of Indian restaurants in 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 the UK and especially in London. Can, can you speculate as to how that happened? You were a part of that movement. But it was a sizable movement. Yeah, I mean, we don't describe our restaurant as an Indian restaurant. Like I said, the food right. we cook has influences from, from everywhere, from the sort of what we're celebrating is the, the you know, immigrant cuisine in, in England. And, you know, we truly believe that what makes Britain great is this incredible, you know, wave of immigrants who've come in, who've influenced what, you know, new British cuisine is all about. And that's what we celebrate. But, yes, I mean, Indian restaurants in, in London, I think there are, there are some really fantastic ones. And it's wonderful to see people doing new things and sort of, you know, um, taking from their heritage, but then doing something that is modern. And I think this idea of what is authentic needs to be kind of rethought because food continues to evolve. Like all of us as people, food is this ever-evolving thing. So how someone made dal or whatever that dish might be 50 years ago isn't going to be the same because people have evolved and recipes evolved too. Yeah, now um, we should start off by saying that this is a is reasonably um, it's a vegetarian cookbook. That's right, um, yes. But but it's not necessarily vegan. No. Is it? No. There, there are there are vegan recipes in it. Yeah. Uh, but but it is vegetarian and vegan. Um, right. And it really is just a celebration of the vegetable kingdom, and also and and the abundance of the vegetable kingdom and also my grandfather and he's oh i loved i wanted to meet your grandfather i really would love to spend some time with him oh he was a wonderful man you know he was the kind he was for me he was the exemplary man just someone who had such joy about life and such gratitude and you know he had this small plot of land which he cultivated and spent most of his time on and I was lucky enough as a young girl to be you know sort of knee-deep in vegetation with him and and you know just watching this incredibly spiritual relationship that he had with the land and the gratitude of someone like him who had come from very little um, I think, you know, that kind of gratitude can only come from someone who knew hard times. And I would watch him, um, you know, in his, in his plot of land, constantly thanking Providence uh, for what this rich alluvial soil was giving him. He saw it as a great benevolence. And his whole idea was that where vegetables are concerned, because everything he grew 
he ate with his family, but he also donated and shared with friends, with the local orphanage near where we lived. He was, you know, just always giving. But his whole philosophy was that we go into life looking for miracles, and yet here is an onion, and this thing has withstood pests blight, bad weather, and yet it comes to our kitchen, we can cook with it, we can share what we cook with it, and that in itself is a, is a miracle. And I think we're so disassociated from our food these days, and the people who grew it, and the human stories behind our food, that I was compelled to really celebrate that. You said before, when you went to England, moved from Kenya to England, for the first time you had store-bought food. How did you phrase that? Yeah, that's right. I'd never eaten a supermarket vegetable before that's I, it. That's it, yeah. I got to uh, England because everything we ate either came from my grandfather's allotment or it yeah. came from these wonderful women who are called mama bogas, which means like sort of mother vegetable sellers. And they go, they, they basically have small, small holdings in the villages and then they, they grow whatever they're growing, beautiful, fresh, seasonal produce, heirloom varieties, everything you can imagine in this incredible soil. And they, they sort of used to um, bring the, their, their stock into the city on these crazy buses called matatus, and then they would peddle their wares from door to door. And mm-hmm. these women really inspired me because I came from a family of women who didn't work. You know, the, yeah. the women in my family sort of married, had children, and were housewives. And these women were the first female entrepreneurs I saw, the first female businesswomen. And that really inspired me and my journey. Yeah, I, th- I think we ought to insert the number of things, the number of hats that you've worn, too. Um, you, you, you have this cookbook. In fact, I love the title of your very first cookbook. Was it Unapologetic? What was it? Oh, the subtitle. So that was my second cookbook, Giacconi, which is the name of the restaurant. Yes. And it is um, proudly inauthentic recipes from an immigrant kitchen. <laughs> now, is your restaurant still operating? It is. It is. It's it's there. My wonderful team are there. I've been messaging this, them this morning about the New York weather, which has been always oh, terrible. Have you seen it? The whole bad. city's flooded. They stopped transportation and everything. Yeah, I mean, I went out early this morning, very optimistically, looking for breakfast, and got you know had to swim to breakfast. It was it was interesting. So terrible, yeah. Um, uh, now, okay, so you, you've been at a restaurant tour, our restaurant tour. Um, you also have a lot of of TV experience. Uh, you've written for a, a whole bunch of important publications. Um, it, and, um, do you know our friend um, with Alan, Alan, Jenkins. Yeah, Alan, Jenkins? Alan Jenkins? Oh, I adore Alan, yes. I do too. <laughs> he's been uh, very, very supportive of of my journey, you know, because he's seen me as this 
sort of food journalist, food writer, and and then to my huge step into becoming a restauranter. So he's he's seen that whole journey. Well, he's a wonderful person, yeah. Well, we, 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 were, in, we were in Peru on a press tour. And, 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 and Alan, Alan hurt something. What did he, what did he hurt? He, had he broke his foot, I think. <laughs> he broke his foot. Oh, that was that was very recently, right? Well, it was, it was a while. Probably about, it was probably about four or five years ago. Oh, yeah. okay, but, but, right. And, and, I think and, had, I, and had pills that would take the pain away. So, oh, dear. So, so I think <laughs> he's had another injury quite recently, so really? um, yeah, okay. that's why I say. But, uh, no, he, in fact, he kindly hosted an event for me because... Um, Part of the the restaurant, we we think of our restaurant as a cultural space, so we run these evenings called Civilized Sundays where we basically invite people we think are cultural leaders with important stories to tell about food, about music, about writing. And um, I asked him to interview Claudia Rodin for me because we we hosted her for a book event. I will. She's good. Not a good one, yeah. Yeah, and he and he and Claudia are very, very, um, you know, they're as thick as thieves. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a really wonderful evening. It, it's a great community, isn't it? That, that, the, it the really food is. People, I call us you, the food you people. Just, <laughs> you just described Alan Jenkins perfectly as the thick as thieves. Yes, exactly. <laughs> one, of, one of my fav- one of my English mother's favorite phrases, by the way. Oh, really? Okay, right. <laughs> Um, so, but anyhow, so you've done television, writing, um, what else, have you, restaurant touring, uh, you're writing cookbooks, um, yeah. you did something else, there was something else that I wanted yes, to mention. Yes, I, I, I started out as a fashion and beauty journalist, that oh, was kind of, You also yeah. modeled, I loved your modeling story. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, in the bread chapter, yes, exactly. Right, the carbs. I mean, we're we're going through another era of this with the um, whatever that the drug is for diabetes. All these people uh, are going Azem- through Azempic, yes. Yes, I oh, know. it's terrible. I mean, these people all of a sudden they 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 start they show up in, in a given month's time, looking like they had lost three times their body weight. Yeah. And then the the minute they go off of this thing, they go up, they blow up like blimps. <laughs> but also, I mean, I just can't imagine it's worth it because apparently it makes you feel so nauseous that you can't yeah. eat at all. And food for me is about pleasure and one of the right. greatest pleasures of life. And if you're, if that is taken away from you, I mean, food is life. You've lost your life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I was reading that chapter when you were talking about the, the, the carbohydrates and thinking about a very good friend of ours uh, went on that, um, what's the name of that diet, the, um, you know, the, the low-carb, no-high-protein thing, and, and she lost a bunch of weight. I mean, it works if you're going to lose weight. Um, but she, she finally caught herself at the point of looking like she was dying, and, and said, you know, I decided life is too short to not have pasta. <laughs> oh, gosh, I can't about, imagine yeah. anything more depressing. 
yes. than not having bread you, or pasta. Yeah, your your description of your your loss of bread had been hysterical because I was thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> Life was too short. Um, so, so you do all these things and you absorb all these influences, um, and and it, how did you organize this? walk just the people and before we go too far into it i want to to point out that the photography is fabulous and as i said to you before we were not on the air because you you were the model in, in most of these um uh things that i loved your jewelry do you say your friend has it Yes, so it's a dear friend of mine called Rosh Matani who has a wonderful brand called Alighieri. And it is, all the jewelry is based on the poems of um, Dante Alighieri. Oh my goodness. Um, and it is, it's just a beautiful jewelry brand. It, it's like a modern day heirloom. That's how she describes it, it's her words. And it, it really is that. Um, but you know, with the with the photographs, I've always had because I come from a very visual background, having worked on magazines and art yeah. directed and styled. I've always had a very um, direct vision of how I want the books to look. Whether it was the Chicone cookbook that had animals for the um, the 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 openers, you can imagine. Um, you know, when I said to my um, my publishers, I listen, I need a, a budget for live animals for this cookbook. <laughs> uh, how many eye, eyebrows I might have raised, but um, yeah, and then and then it's about finding this sort of dream team of people who can really see and translate your vision. And I was lucky enough to work with some of the best names in the industry. So Kristen Perez, who is an artist, I mean, she's a photographer, but she's an artist. She paints, in fact, some of the backgrounds that you see um, in the book have been painted by her. No, I bet you this is one of them. This, this is a, a, a photograph that I picked out as an example of, of your fantastic stylist, whoever it was. It has you, your hands with your jewelry, uh, holding the sieve uh, with something in it. And it looks like cherries or something. And then, uh, and you have a, um, a head of garlic on your wrist, and and this long ruffled, uh, light blue sleeve. I mean, it's, it's, who thought of that? Yeah. Well, that was like I said, it was this collaboration between myself, Kristen Perez, the photographer. Joss Hurd, who was the food stylist, um, and uh, Tabitha Hawkins, who um, who is the prop stylist, and uh, I had a really lovely f- uh, fashion stylist called R- Rose Safia Connell, who worked uh, on the clothing with me. But it was this incredible collaboration between women, and it was just—I mean, my shoot days were just so much fun because we uh-huh. just. We just sort of thought, well, you know, I, I had sort of made a mood board of, of the images that I wanted for the openers, and I like those kind of images where they're sort of tongue-in-cheek and they've got a bit of a kink and a wink <laughs> and, and, and a sense of humor. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, well, uh, much appreciated um, on our part, I have to tell you. Um one of the things that stood out to me that I don't know if cookbooks 
get this right all the time. I mean, a lot of times you read um, cookbooks and they have a, a section called the pantry or stocking the pantry. Um, but you put it a different way. You, you emphasize the quality of the, of the vegetable. But then you also reference all this wonderful stock in the pantry and how important that is. Tell us a little bit more about that because I think that's a game changer. Yeah, I think, you know, to really, really get the best out of vegetables. And, you know, for, for many cultures, and particularly the culture that I came from, vegetables have always been the whole meal. We haven't needed the safety blanket of meat or animal fat or fish to, make, to complete a meal. But I think the talent uh, when it comes to cooking vegetables is, A, to lavish the same love and attention you would on a chop or a steak, um, you know, on a vegetable, and secondly, to think about things like condiments and spices and um, and texture. It's such an important thing. You know, you take something like a turnip and you can cook it down. You can almost put it in a pressure cooker and cook it down until it, it kind of falls apart and and then add a friction of spices to it and and make this magnificent dish there's there's a dish for a turnip polenta in in the book uh with a brown butter um or you can you can slice it up and pickle it or you could fry it and every time you're getting something new from that one vegetable but you're putting this great love and care and you're thinking about well what what works with this vegetable what is its flavor and how am I going to enhance its flavor or bring out its sweetness and, um, you know, all those things. So these are the considerations. But I think to have a really well-stocked pantry with global influences from, you know, tahini right. or gochujang or uh, tamari or um, a great chili oil, all these things really, really help. Oh, I think they're essential. I just, I'm just saying this because I don't think that that. I mean, people always talk about the quality of of the main ingredient, but that they don't talk enough about the things in your pantry that make such a, a difference and make something so elevated. Completely. I mean, it, things are a game changer. You know, spices especially. I think of you know my cooking almost like. Um, you know, when I think about cooking, it's like uh, music. Recipes are like music. And spices are, without spices, I think my cooking would be like elevator music. So <laughs> spices are the thing that adds life. So you want all these, like, notes that are taking you to a place. I mean, you take something as simple as a pink peppercorn or a Szechuan peppercorn. I mean, I recently made... Um, uh, a, a meringue with um, like a pavlova with rhubarb um, and I added some uh, pink peppercorns to the rhubarb or I've oh done my. it with Szechuan peppercorns and you immediately elevate that ingredient just with one little trick. These things are so powerful. Spices are so powerful. They have such personality and how you treat those spices you know, you take a peppercorn, are you going to dry roast it? Are you going to pop it in oil? Are you going to grate it? Uh, you know, are you going to grind it? Or are you going to have it whole as a, in the, the base of a stew? Every single time you, you know, or every treat,
treatment that you give it, you're going to get a different kind of flavor. And I find that really, really exciting about spices. Well, I find that very exciting about your book because I don't think that that uh, gets enough attention in, in many cookbooks. I mean, I don't think. I mean, it makes all the difference in the world is what you have in your your larder, I call it, the pantry. Um, here's another funny photograph of, of you in the breads and pancakes. <laughs> you have a, you have a loaf of bread on your head, uh, and then you have a baguette, and then you have some pancakes. You have your jewelry on, all that fabulous jewelry, and and. What are these, your braids? You had your hair braided. It's totally madcap. It's a wonderful thing. And the background looks like it's artist-generated, too, the background, is it? Two of our favorite Indian chefs in in London have got to be Chutney Chutney Mary and uh, what's the other one, sweetheart? I don't know what you mean. Well, they're they're owned by the same two sisters. Vera Swami. Vera Swami, do you mean Vera, Vera Swami? Swami yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They've been in the business such a long time. Yeah, they're pros, I mean, they really are. funny part about it is that we, we discovered they were classmates of mine at college. That's one wow. of your favorite, yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, I mean, yeah, they, they really know their stuff. It was no chicken place, by the way. I mean, it, it was Cambridge University after all. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, how, I mean, I was looking for something that would give our listeners an idea of the kinds of things you do in your recipes, and I was, and there were so many, they're all so different, I didn't know which one to pick. Is there one dish, one recipe in here that kind of gives a, a, a general um, idea of the, the kind of structure you, you give your dishes and how you put stuff together? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, it's always difficult to narrow down because, like you said, there are so many different recipes. You know, there, there are chapters that are dedicated to dips alone or breads and pancakes or there's, you know, crispy fried things or there's puddings um, or curries or stews or pastas, noodles. But I I think... That right now, I will give you um, one recipe which I think you know readers can make because it's seasonal, and I try and cook as seasonally as possible. And one of the things that I really like to do is present people with something they feel is very familiar, but then has a pop of surprise to it. Right. Um, and so that recipe probably would be the hot and sour sweet corn risotto, which I'm at. How do about you know? I, that's exactly the page. I opened the book too. That's well, the one I'm looking I, I at right now. I think we're clearly connected, telepathically connected, but I'm actually about to cook that at Gramercy Tavern in a couple of days for an event I'm doing there. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's, it's such a magical um, risotto because it's cooked very much like an Italian risotto. So you start with shallots, sweating in a little oil, um, and you add some green chili because, of course, when you think about sweet corn, the clue is in the name. It's very sweet, so you need to balance it out with some heat. And, and there's some garlic in there, and you fry that off, and then you add your arborio risotto rice, 
and and you seal O'Connor early and you seal that off and just like you would with a regular risotto, you kind of wait for it to start going translucent on the edges. You add a glass of wine to it. And but what is now interest? Uh, what's interesting is the stock, and the stock here that I I use and I've made is a hot and sour stock, which is kind of one of my favorite Thai um, things to have. Hot and sour soup. So the stock has coriander root, lime leaves, ginger. Chili, bird's eye chili, lime leaves, all these like wonderful lemongrass, all these wonderful aromatics. And it just then changes the flavor of the risotto completely. And then once the rice is cooked, you beat in a butter, but the butter is a, a compound butter made with lime leaves. Yeah, and wonderful. It, 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 it sounds quite complicated, but it really isn't. It's as simple as making a stock with some lovely aromatics and then making a, a butter with some live, lime leaves folded through it. And you just end up with this beautiful golden dish of sweet corn risotto that is comforting, familiar, but then has this kind of flair of wonderful, fragrant Thai flavors. Um, and it's on the restaurant menu at the moment, and it is incredibly popular. Well, I just I just got uh, four um, uh, four things of sweet corn on the cob, so I have to see what else I have. Um, it, it, listeners, I mean the, the the book is called Comfort and Joy, but the book actually is a, a joy, and you're going to enjoy it from so many different directions, um, and. Uh, Ravinder, I'm so pleased that you got a chance to talk to us. Uh, I wish you luck on your um, or your dinner for Danny Myers. Say hello if you here to see him. And, I will. Um, yeah, and and as I said, endless success with this book because it's really it's a must-have on on your kitchen cookbook shelf. Thank and you're you a delight so much. too. I'll call you and we'll just chat sometime soon. I would love that. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye.